Hello and welcome to another episode of Film Exploration with Ash Harry. We continue season 2 with 80s film and for episode 15 we bring you a classic which introduces the world to a famous archaeologist. The 1981 film Indiana Jones and the Raider of the Lost Ark directed by Steven Spielberg and starring Harrison Ford, Karen Allen and John Reese davis So I technically introduced the film incorrectly because the actual title of the movie is actually just Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, However, when the film was released onto DVD, VHS and Blu-ray, they added the Indiana Jones bit at the start because audiences really warmed up to this new type of action hero with a whip and a cool looking hat who happens to be a professor of archaeology. So yeah, this film therefore is the only Indiana Jones movie that doesn't have his name officially appear in the title. This may be a Steven Spielberg movie, but this is a George Lucas creation. Now, after the triumph and success of Star Wars in 1977, he called up his buddy, Steven Spielberg, who was running off his own success in the uh, the 70s with uh, Jaws in 1975. And they got together with their screenwriter friend uh, called Lawrence Kasdan. And they met in the summer of 78 in Hawaii. And it was there that George Lucas pitched this idea of this, and I quote, Globe-trotting archaeologist, a bounty hunter of antiques. He's a professor, a PhD. People call him doctor, but he's a little rough and tumbled. And it was there this creation of Indiana Jones was born. It's said that George Lucas came up with the idea of this sort of brave and adventurous archaeologist the same time he came up with this other idea of his, which was this Flash Gordon space story, which we now know as Star Wars. So, I mean, upon meeting in this beach house in Hawaii, they didn't all share the vision. I mean, Spielberg and Kasdan agreed it was an amazing character, but they had their own opinions about him too. I mean, George Lucas originally wanted to call him Indiana Smith, and that was his original name. But Spielberg hated it and said, I think Jones sounds a lot better, eventually winning that argument when Spielberg says, well, Dr. Jones just rolls off the tongue better than Dr. Smith. It's hard not to be biased about this, but it does does sound better, but I am being slightly biased because I know... I only know him as Dr. Jones now. But they, dis- they disagreed on other things too. Lucas saw Indiana Jones as this 007 playboy kind of guy. But the others said we don't need to add this to his already complex character because he's not many action heroes are also academics as well. So they just thought it would add a bit too much to the character to make him a playboy Bond character as well. Spielberg did, however, want some negative traits to sort of humanize him a little bit more, like add him as an alcoholic or even a gambler. But it was a little too close to James Bond at the time. However, if you do watch the movies there are clues and possible evidence that indiana is a heavy drinker or was they just choose not to exploit it in the movie as the story came along they argued about indiana jones's sort of psychic in this story i think it was nasdan who said it should be a nazi spy or maybe even a former mentor or even an old lover eventually after a few days they combine the latter of the two and thus we have marion in this movie who's the daughter of a mentor and actually indy's ex-lover now i think the nazi spy was used in the last one of sean connery actually in the last crusade so they held on to the original idea for the movie so the creation of indiana jones was now there they had their hero and now they needed a story now lucas knew it was going to be set in the 30s and they had the Nazis play the main antagonist here. So they needed something quite universally known as sort of the treasure or what Indy was going to protect. And it was Philip Kaufman, the writer, who came up with the idea of the lost, uh, the lost Ark of the Covenant. And Lucas shared this idea with Philip way before even Star Wars was a thing. And he was originally going to get Philip to direct the movie, but decided on Steven Spielberg instead. And what he did was quite nice because he shares the movie credit with Philip um, for the idea of Indiana Jones, which I thought was quite nice. If you watch the credit sequences, the story is by George Lucas and Philip Kaufman, which was quite a nice uh, throwback to him. 
So they got the story, they got the character to a T, and now they knew that it was, you know, they knew it was going to be a hit. It's funny because even with Spielberg and George Lucas behind the movie, you know, two powerhouse names, they had a real problem getting studios to back them. I think eventually Paramount accepted them, uh, accepted sort of their terms and good on them too as well. Otherwise, we wouldn't have probably known uh, anything about Indiana Jones. And I think the film was like 20 million in budget around there, and it grossed over 210 million at the box office, which made it the highest grossing film that year by a country mile. I think the second highest grossing film was a Catherine Hepburn film on the Golden Pond. I think that was it. And that, that made, I think, 110, so it was half what um, Indiana Jones made. So you can see how successful Indiana Jones was in 1981. And George Lucas was quite clever with the studios with this one. Once Paramount accepted to fund it, it was a quite an unusual deal at the time. So what Paramount did, say, uh, did was they said they would finance the entire $18, $19 million budget of the film they asked for, which was fine. In exchange, George Lucas would own 40% of the film and collect half of the profits after the studio grossed a certain amount. Now, I don't know what the certain amount is, but you just heard how much the film made. So I think it was a pretty good deal for Mr. George Lucas. And the film ended up being nominated for Best Film at the Oscars, which is quite something for an action movie, although it didn't win, but it was good to see an action film be recognised. I can't remember what won that year. I think it was Chariots of Fire, I want to say. Um, anyway, I think it was, the, it was the year Catherine Hepburn won her like third or fourth Oscar too. But yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark is the film. Is, I think it's the only film in the Indiana Jones series to be nominated for an Oscar. It did, however, win the most Oscars at the Academy. I think they won. Um, they didn't win any big ones. Like, like They didn't win anything for like acting or directing or Best Picture. I mean, they got nominated for all of that but they didn't win it i think uh they won for like sound and special effects and stuff like that and speaking of sound the iconic punch in the indiana jones movie i don't know if you know what i'm talking about it's got a really distinctive sound but they created this sound with this uh, of this punch that they do which is now quite an iconic sound by hitting a pile of leather jackets with a baseball bat and that's how they get that sort of punching sound effect which i thought was quite funny so when figuring out who was going to play Indiana Jones, I mean, they had two names in the hat, Harrison Ford and Tom Selleck. Now, if you don't know who Tom Selleck is, he was in Magnum P.I. Or if you, if you watch Friends, he was Richard, uh, Monica's boyfriend. And George Lucas did not want Harrison Ford at all for Indy because he just worked with him in American Graffiti in 73 and, of course, in New Hope and Empire Strikes Back where he played another iconic character in Han Solo. So understandably, he wanted someone different. And this didn't help either, but he just slated Martin Scorsese not long before this because he always used, uh, you know, Robert De Niro. And he, he didn't want to be that sort of director, not offering other actors, you know, roles in his films. So it got to that point where he had to, you know, consider, you know, talk to Spielberg and was like, well, who do you think? And Spielberg couldn't envision anyone besides Harrison Ford. And eventually um, George Lucas caved in now. If Tom Selleck was cast, apparently, as Indiana Jones, he would have kept his famous moustache. You know, he has a moustache in Friends, and he, he always has a moustache. But, yeah, if he was going to play Indiana Jones, they would have kept it, which would have been quite good. I mean, I could, I could see Tom Selleck as Indy, to be fair. I mean, he's quite tall, looks academic, you know, professor-looking. I mean, plays a doctor in Friends, and, in, and he would blend well in the backdrop of Africa. With Harrison Ford, it's hard for him to disguise himself as an Arabic man, whereas Tom Selleck, he's got that sort of Arabic quality to him. But yeah, besides that one advantage to Tom Selleck, it holds well with Harrison Ford. So let's talk about the famous opening scene with the boulder, which is now iconic and heavily referenced in God knows how many TV shows and other films. I mean, I, I saw the reference the other day in Toy Story um, on Disney Plus, uh, you know, when Buzz is being chased by the globe before being knocked out the window. But you just know your film's going to be timeless when certain scenes are still being used in other movies to reference, let alone the image of the hat and the bullwhip and the amazing John Williams theme for it. And 
Yeah, it's just it's just a you know, massively iconic scene, the boulder chasing Harrison Ford. And Harrison Ford did, you know, did a lot of that stunt himself, to be honest, because apparently they found out that Harrison could outrun the boulder. So they uh, they said, OK, fine, go for it. And because they were shooting it from five or six different angles, they had to have him do it 10 to 15 times. And I think by the 11th or 12th time, um, he was out of breath, but he was still doing it. And there's a scene, one of the shots, he stumbles, and that's the one they used in the movie. And it was to the annoyance of Harrison Ford, but Steven Spielberg was like, well, that's the more authentic shot for me. So he kept it in the movie. And in that scene was the debut role of Alfred Molina, who plays um, Indy's accomplice turn evil in the brief appearance he makes at the start of the movie. I mean, what a debut role that is for an actor to be in the most iconic opening scenes in Hollywood. I mean, Alfred Molina's first day of filming, he was covered in tarantulas. I mean, what a first day that is. That is a story to tell your grandkids. I mean, and I read that the tarantulas didn't actually start moving until they actually got a female tarantula on set, which is how they got them to move um, up his leg, which is gross. But quite coincidentally it's quite a funny connection but he would later be working with another spider-esque character in one of his more famous roles in spider-man 2 where he plays dr octavius who ends up having eight limbs in the movie so i thought that was quite a bizarre but interesting connection between his debut role and his more famous role but yeah using real life animals is something that spielberg tries to you know sort of incorporate in um his movies to sort of bring that sense of realism in his movies i mean like with war horse and with this movie and with you know temple of doom and with his other films as well he usually has two major themes in all of his movies. I mean, one of them is the father figure relationship that, he, uh, that the main character has with a child, like in Jaws or Jurassic Park or Catch Me If You Can or Minority Report. And then his second theme is usually based around children or just vulnerable young things like aliens or kids or animals, you know, like War Horse or E.T. Um, so he has these themes that he sort of... Um, follows through most of his movies and with the well of soul scene where there's meant to be like three thousand snakes this was originally going to be all special effects and puppets but the special effects looked really bad and george lucas wasn't happy of it and the puppets were weren't even great as well so what they decided to do was use real ones so they went all over england to find these exotic snakes in these shops which is why all the snakes are from different continents in the scene like if you're a snake expert you'll be watching this movie and be like this is wrong but I'm not a snake. I'm, I'm fascinated with snakes, but I'm not a snake expert. So I had no idea all the snakes in this movie are like from different continents. So they had like 50 or 60 real snakes and the rest were coated in the snake skin that they shed. And then they used them in the background. So luckily, like Indiana, unlike Indiana Jones, I should say, both Steven Spielberg and Harrison Ford are not afraid of snakes. So they were okay with these scenes to have these 50 or 60 snakes be on set with them. Obviously, there was... um people on there for safety measures and um I, I was actually reading about that scene the other day apparently um stanley kubrick's daughter vivian i don't i don't i don't even know nothing about her but i read that she came on set i don't know who she was visiting but she called the rspca and complained about the snakes being unfairly treated which delayed filming for like one day and i was like oh, i didn't even know that and i think the incident they had was regarding the snakes was that a python had bitten a cobra and it died and i think that was it and then it just delayed one day of filming and then everyone sort of um got over it but yeah just thought that was quite interesting anyway but yeah you're probably wondering why they're going to exotic shops in england and talk of the rspca but yeah this uh this, some of this film was shot in the south of england which i found was quite interesting so this was the first film that steven spielberg directed in the uk and more interestingly enough the indiana jones hat came from the famous herbert johnson shop in london so his iconic outfit is part british so i thought that was quite cool 
But yeah, the snake things could have really been avoided if they got the snakes from the same country in the seams together. But, you know, that's a lesson learned now. So this movie is um, heavily set in the continent of Africa. And what you might notice in the Indiana Jones quadrilogy is that each film is set in a different continent. So this one is primarily in Africa. Temple of Doom is, of course, in Asia. The Last Crusade, obviously, is in Europe. And the notorious last movie, which I actually kind of like, um, is in South America. So I thought that was a really good way how they've sort of ventured around the world in the series of Indiana Jones. So Indiana Jones is the start of something that people had no idea what to expect. This was the end of the Western action genre that was going into the 70s and coming into the 80s. And this film introduced a new style to the action genre in terms of Indiana Jones being an academic with this sort of grave robber who is trying to protect this ancient artifact from the evil of humanity, as Sean Connery puts it in The Last Crusade. This film incredibly delivers on something that, you know, that seems jam-packed on paper. I mean, you're introducing a hero. You have an actual enemy that exists or existed in the Nazis. You have an ancient artifact of the Ark. And you need to establish all of this in the first movie. It's a lot to take on. On top of that, the movie had to keep up with the action sequences, the comedy, the introductions to character, the pace of the story from one country to another. It is a lot to take on. Only someone like Steven Spielberg manages to pull this off. You have his famous plane montage scene where he shows where Indy is traveling. And this is a fun sort of transition to further develop the story. And it takes hardly any time to do this. And Spielberg manages to keep the characters at bay with the audiences. Even the action sequences are beautifully done. And, you know, some of them are done by complete accident, just with the pure charm and improvisation of Harrison Ford. I mean, you know the scene I'm talking about when Indiana Jones meets this bad guy who has a sword. And the swords guy does all these like trickery with the fight uh, with the sword before he um, battles him. And he shows that he's a really good swordsman and does all this ha 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 kind of stuff. And instead of a massive epic sword fight, Indy just pulls out his gun and shoots him. And originally this was meant to be, this was actually meant to be an epic sword fight, but Harrison Ford had food poisoning the night before. In fact, the entire crew did. I think Spielberg was the only one who didn't because he has SpaghettiOs that he brings from America. And Harrison was like, listen, I feel like crap. Can I just shoot him because I can't do this fight scene right now? And um, he's like, yeah, okay, we'll give it a go. And he did it. And it was just so funny as well. I mean, the the despair in Harrison's forward face is not acting. It's him actually in pain. So, and it, it moved the story quite quickly along. So I thought it was a very cool serendipitous moment. And the first Indiana Jones movie is actually the shortest of all four of the movies. So believe it or not, you know, it's pure quality in this one hour 55 epic. But what makes this film pure quality is the stunning visuals of this movie with the sort of confident direction of Steven Spielberg at his best, I think. I mean, the creation of the character Indiana Jones from George Lucas really cements his fictional name in history as one of, you know, as one that would later follow or even take over the Western name of John Wayne. Remember, this fundamentally ended the action Western genre and sort of introduced a style of comedy and treasure hunting in a genre that relies on gun shooting and horse riding. Now, Spielberg and Lucas took it a step further and started this journey of the action genre introduced more than just gun shooting and horse riding he introduced an academic who happens to be a grave robber on the side who carries a trusted bullwhip and dons this really cool hat and these characteristics are fundamental for a hero you know thor has his hammer iron man has jarvis and you know indiana jones has his whip and these are the little things that really recognize this character as a hero with these small but effective attributes so what i'm going to do now is i'm going to go through the plot of the movie really quickly to kind of conclude um my podcast and i'm doing this for one reason only and it's not because i'm afraid people who haven't seen this movie don't know what it's about because i'm pretty sure most people have seen this movie it's to um really disprove the theory of amy and big bang theory (laughs) 
So if you haven't seen Big Bang, Sheldon shows Amy this film because it's the greatest film of all time and he's not wrong. Um, and Amy watches the film and she basically goes, yeah, it's a good film besides the one glaring plot hole in the movie. And Sheldon's like, please, there isn't one. Uh, but I'll humor you, make my jaw drop. And then she goes, well... Indiana Jones plays no role in the final outcome of the story, since despite his best efforts, does Nazis still end up obtaining the Ark and killing themselves by opening it? The absence of Indiana Jones, the Nazis would have still stolen the headpiece from Marion, made a correctly proportioned staff of Ra and discovered the Ark themselves. So Indiana Jones' involvement is irrelevant in the movie since the outcome is the same whether he's in it or not. So yeah, that was Amy's uh, rationale behind Indiana Jones being completely irrelevant to Raiders of the Lost Ark, which sucked because she's kind of right. But if I stretch this story a little bit, she's kind of wrong. So I'll go through the plot quickly. It begins with Indiana Jones narrowly escaping a booby-trapped temple in Peru after trying to retrieve a golden idol that was taken from him by, um, I think it was Belloc. So then he returns to his teaching position at Marshall College and then his colleague, uh, Marcus Brody, informs him that there's two army intelligent agents that want to speak to him about his old mentor, uh, Abner Ravenwood. Now, apparently the occult-obsessed Nazis are trying to you know, find Ravenwood because he's the leading expert on the lost Egyptian city of Tanis, the resting place for the Ark of the Covenant. And the Nazis believe that if they, if they acquire the Ark, its supernatural powers will make their armies invincible. So it's up to Indiana Jones to get there first with the help of Ravenwood's daughter, Marion, and of course, Salar. So it stands to reason that at the end of the movie, the Nazis would have been killed anyway during the first opening of the Ark. So all they had to do really was just to keep their eyes closed, but they don't figure that out yet. However... It was with Indiana Jones's presence at the end that they make that I think makes the real difference because he finally recovers the arcs after it killed the Nazis on the island and he delivers the ark back to the United States. Thus, it kept the ark out of the German hands during World War II. Remember, this is set just before World War II. So if Indiana Jones didn't bring the ark back to the United States, then the Germans would have figured out how to use the ark for the Nazis. So... In that aspect, Amy, I'm sorry, but your theory's wrong-ish. <laughs> but yeah, that's my best, that's my sort of best attempt of trying to disprove Amy and Big Bang Theory. But yeah, speaking of the art killing all the Nazis, I was thinking about all the other movies and re realizing that Indiana Jones never actually kills the lead villain in any of the films. It's always the treasure itself or the villain's greed or desire that ends up killing them, not Indy. In fact, he even warns them. But yeah, I thought that was another sort of thing that makes Indy more humanized, especially when it's actually a school teacher um that is the main hero here so it fits the bill that he doesn't kill big notorious people just sort of the henchmen that are out there to kill him sorry about that i think that was my phone ringing but anyway i'm gonna i'm not even gonna edit it out i'm just gonna leave it in there because i'm on a bit of a roll at the moment <laughs> but the thoughtfully revolutionary and sisyphinian ending where we see the maintenance man wheeling the ark into the crate and into this giant endless warehouse where we assume is area 51 with a million other crates unopened. It's sort of a reminiscence of this same thoughtful, bittersweet feeling of the end of the, you know, the great escape where we see Steve McQueen jailed again, throwing the ball up against the wall, defeated, but about to start another journey. And this is sort of how Westerns would end by riding into the sunset, concluding that the journey isn't ending, but just about to begin. And this is sort of what Spielberg does with the sort of somewhat eerie notion that the Ark is still in human hands despite it being recovered meaning fortunately for audiences that we you know we're going to see Indiana Jones again and this is a very clever way of ending the movie and of course we were spoiled with two more sequels in the 90s and one arguably all right one in the 2010s I mean he's actually contracted for a fifth one he's pushing 80 now so I'm not sure that Harrison Ford will be able to do it but 
if anyone can figure it out, it's going to be Steven Spielberg. I mean, Steven Spielberg has never failed to disappoint in terms of reaching the peaks, you know, his peaks, because he keeps reaching his peaks over and over again. You know, I mean, I thought his peak was in Jaws when um, he did it in 1975, creating the first ever blockbuster. And then he did E.T. and then he did Indiana Jones. And then he did, you know, another two Indiana Jones films. And then he did Jurassic Park. And then the same year he did Schindler's List where he won an Oscar. And we're thinking, okay, he's done his war movie. He's done his sort of passion project. And then 1998, he does Save and Private Ryan. And then he just keeps coming, you know, great films like Minority Reports, Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal. I mean, and then he goes and does Ready Player One. Uh, he does... Um, Munich as well with Eric Banner, Warhorse. So this man is not to be regarded as one that is losing his touch, just one that is adapting to time. And his next film, I think, is coming out next year, which is West Side Story, which is his first musical. So that might be, that might be another peak, but, you know, we'll see what's in the pipeline with um, the fifth Indiana Jones. Um, so, you know, it's his baby, Indiana Jones, and he's going to do it. I mean, it, Lucas did create Indiana Jones, but, you know, Spielberg directed the last four movies. So... If Harrison Ford is going to play Indiana Jones one last time, you can bet that Spielberg will do what he can to sort of give Indy his big send-off. And that's all I have time for with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, we're halfway through season two now. If you want to follow uh, my updates on any upcoming podcasts, please follow me on Instagram on Film Exploration AH, or lowercase or one word. Um, but yeah, have a good day, and thank you for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry.